Welcome to Life at the Ballpark. On this episode, you'll hear the story of a kid from South Carolina who, at age 14, saw the movie The Pride of the Yankees, the story of Lou Gehrig, and would one day stand on the very same spot, on the very same field, and be honored on Bobby Richardson Day. The reason I signed with the Yankees is because when I was 14 years old, a high school team, and I got cut. And before that game, they took us out to see the film Pride of the Yankees. Welcome to Live at the Ballpark, sharing stories from players, managers, and coaches, writers, and broadcasters about their lives around baseball, from the sand lots to the big league ballparks. Hi, I'm John Frost, and my guest today is New York Yankees legend Bobby Richardson, seven-time All-Star who played in seven of eight consecutive World Series to start his career, or is it nine out of ten, and who is the only World Series MVP in history to play for the losing team. Bobby, thanks for sharing about your life at the ballpark. Well, I'm honored to be with you today, and uh, a lot of memories. Glad to share them. Bobby Richardson is a seven-time All-Star, including your very last season. And from 1957 to 1964, you played in seven of eight World Series every year, except for 1959. And one of the most amazing stats about you is I think you are the only World Series MVP to play on the losing club. Well, you're right. I've had a wonderful background. I signed at 17 with the Yankees. And the reason I signed with the Yankees is because when I was 14 years old, a high school team and I got cut. They catch an hour a little late playing basketball and tournament play. And we're a little bit late going out. And I had a three-day workout. And the coach very graciously said to the catcher, uh, you've made the team. And to me, he said, come back next year. And um, I was a little disappointed. I told the catcher that I said, you're so big, you can move that batting cage by yourself. And that's why you made the team. He didn't like that. But <laughs> but I, I um, did make the Legion team. We won the state championship, championship, regional championship. And we were playing in Charlotte, North Carolina against Richmond, Virginia. And the winner of that game would go to the American Legion World Series in Omaha, Nebraska. And before that game, they took us out to see the film Pride of the Yankees. The story of Lou Gehrig, Gary Cooper played his part in the film, and Babe Ruth played his own part. Mm -hmm. What a great organization. Sure. I just had a dream. I said, man, would I like to play for them? And when they asked you, your senior year in high school, what do you want to do? I said, play shortstop for the New York Yankees. Well, I didn't play shortstop except for maybe 15 or 20 games. They would put me in in those first years for Rizzuto on defense in 55 and 56. In fact, I say it a little different than you do. You say seven out of nine, but I say nine out of ten because okay. in 55 and 6, the Yankees won both of those years playing the Dodgers, and I was not eligible for the World Series. But when I got home, I looked, and they had voted me a third share of the World Series, and then the next mm -hmm. year, a fifth share of the World Series. And so that makes it nine out of the first 10 years. That sounds pretty good. That sounds pretty good. <laughs> one, of, one of the questions that I ask people who, uh, who I get to talk to on Life at the Ballpark is how did you fall in love with baseball? I love hearing those stories. And so many times I hear stories about the teams that they grew up rooting for. You know, they grew up near New York or they grew up near Cincinnati. And those were the moments. And, and one of the reasons I was so, so thrilled about having you as a guest on my show is because for me it's the 1964 Yankees 
And people tell you that there's a point in your life where you can remember every, you can remember the starting lineup for a certain team. And for me, the 1964 Yankees are that team. And, of course, you were the starting second baseman. Well, it's interesting you would say that because when I was growing up, the only game that we could get on radio, game of the, game of the week on radio or game of the day, were the St. Louis Cardinals. And my father was an avid St. Louis Cardinal fan. And my favorite player was Stan Buzio. And uh, I remember that they played an exhibition game in Columbia, South Carolina against the Cincinnati Reds. Columbia was a farm club of the Cincinnati Reds. And my dad took me over. I was uh, maybe uh, eight or ten years old. My dad took me over to the game, and we watched the game, enjoyed it tremendously, hanging around afterwards, and Stan Musial walked by, and my dad said, why don't you get his autograph? And I said, well, I don't have anything for him to sign. And he gave me a piece of paper, and I was so scared. I was afraid he'd say no, and I'd be embarrassed. And <laughs> I walked over, and Stan Musial, just so graciously signed, and it was so legible. You could read it just, and I kept it for years. And, you know, I ended up having, I had a lot of my teammates' funerals. I'm not a pastor, but I just had a great relationship with my mm -hmm. teammates. And one of them was Ina Slaughter, who came over from the Cardinals. And I was asked sure. to have his funeral by his daughter, who was born the same day as my son, same hospital, same doctor, in Ridgewood, New wow. Jersey. And she asked me to have Ina Slaughter's funeral. And I got a call. I was kind of in charge of everything. And I got a call from the Cardinals and said, uh, Stan Musio, Lou Brock, and the owners of the Cardinals are coming, but we're running a little bit late. Problem, you just come on in, and when you get there, we'll wait, hold the family. We'll seat you, and then we'll seat the family, and then we'll have the funeral. Well, everything went well, and afterwards, I couldn't wait to talk to Stan, and we came in, and we had dinner together at the church afterward. I went up to him, and I said, when I was 12 years old, I got your autograph. He said, Richard, so you just tried to make me old. I said, no, 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 not not that. I said, <laughs> I just look forward to that autograph, and I, I really had very few cents in I said, but uh, that was special at that time. That's great that you got to share that with him. And I'm sure you've had people over the, over the years be able to tell you a similar story about meeting Bobby Richardson. Well, I can I can think of thousands, really. Unbelievable. I just uh, this morning did some mail, and I got a letter from a young boy and said my grandfather was an usher at Yankee Stadium, and my grandfather, and he named the infield, Quebec, myself, Boyer, and so forth, and he said my grandfather... Sure was your special fan. He thought you were the best second baseman in all of baseball. And I, I wrote him a letter and he said, uh, he said, I've, I've, I've read about you and so forth, but I've not been able to get your book. And so he sent me a ball to sign. He said, I'll hang it up right in the room. And uh, I sent him a copy of my book. And I said, you made me feel so good. Your grandfather was a Yankee mm -hmm. fan, your father, and there you are. And I'm honored to send this book your way. But you, letters like that all the time or Sure. Appearances with people. In addition to memorizing the starting lineup for the 1964 Yankees, the very first Major League game I ever went to was the very first game in the Astrodome, and of course, you played in that game. I sure did. <laughs> you know, that was really unique because that was a dome stadium, and we went mm -hmm. out in the infield, we'd hit pop-ups up. In fact, I remember that uh, Pedro Ramos was trying to hit the top. He wanted to see if he could hit the top with a fungo with a ball going up. <laughs> but we found out you couldn't see the ball when it went up <laughs> that first year. 
And uh, but the thing I remember most, the folks out there wanted a Texan, uh, and Mickey Mantle was living in Dallas. They wanted a Texan. They get the first hit, the first home run, the first anything he could, and they batted the Yankees. Batted him first in the lineup that day. Usually, I was the leadoff guy for the Yankees. That day, I batted second, and sure enough, Mantle hit a home run. And I've got that picture of Mantle crossing home plate. He had his head down, and so he wasn't smiling or anything. But, but I have that picture of me greeting him at a home plate, shaking his head. Now that was, wow. that was something never happened the rest of my career. That's right. That's right. And the fact that you batted after Mickey Mantle—did that ever happen before? Well, you know, it did, and and uh, that's unusual. And uh, I, I honestly had forgotten about it. My son is a rabbit fan, and he's well, he's a pastor there in Michigan, but. He is a statistician and kept all the box scores in the games. And he said, do you realize, Dad, that you batted third a dozen times between Maris and Mantle? And I said, no, I didn't remember that. But I did remember one occasion. We were playing in Minneapolis, and evidently that day um, Roger wasn't playing, and Tommy Trish was batting uh, second, and I batted third, and Mantle batted fourth. And uh, we were losing the game by three runs going into the top of the ninth, playing in Minneapolis. And a man got on, a couple outs, a couple men got on. And all of a sudden, I came up with the bases loaded and two outs, and we were behind by three runs. And Mantle came over. They were changing pitches, and he came over and said, Ben, I don't feel good. See if you can hit one out of here. (laughs) That's Mantle. If you know him, he's always saying things like that. Uh He knew it would be impossible probably. Well, on a 2-0 pitch, I hit the ball out of the park for a grand slam, came across home plate, and he was laughing. I said, why are you laughing? He said, I didn't think you could do it. (laughs) (laughs) But the rest of the story is not as good. They tied it up in the bottom of the ninth, and uh, they won the game in the 11th on a broken bat single by Rich Rollins. But for a little while, that was a big thrill. My goodness. What a great story. What else do you remember about that time of opening the Astrodome. To put it in context, of course, the, the that was the first year of the Astros. That was the first indoor stadium. And, of course, the Yankees had been to the World Series the year before against the Cardinals. And so having the Yankees come down, of course, you guys were the team. Having the Yankees come down to Houston, Texas, to open the Astrodome was a really big deal. What do you remember about that? Well, you'd be surprised at what I remember. I remember that Nellie Fox was the second baseman. He'd been traded out there. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was the reason that I didn't make a, I didn't have a gold glove. I had to wait till he retired before I made an all-star oh, or a gold glove. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> and uh, he was there. And the thing I remember is that he came up, and I was playing him over in the hole because he can hit the ball anywhere he wants to. And I figured if Kubek could come across and throw him out easy, and I could in the other hole. And I was playing over in the hole, and he hit a ball in with a runner on second uh, base. And uh, and I went over and caught the ball, but I didn't have a play on him. And I knew that the runner was going to roll away, and I turned to make the throw home, and I was just slow, and I didn't didn't get the runner out. The runner scored from second base on a ball that I feel at as second base off Haley Fox. And so uh, that's what I remember. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was an exhibition game, and it didn't matter that much, but uh, – any player hates that. In fact, you mentioned the 64 World Series, mm-hmm. and you remember the lineup, and Tony Kubek was not playing because yep. of an injury, and Phil Lynch was playing shortstop. Yeah. Well, the one play that I can remember from the 64 World Series is the most important play of that series. I made the last out against Bob Gibson, even though I had seven hits off Bob Gibson, mm-hmm. and I had 13 hits in the series. I made the last out with us behind. Mm-hmm. 
But the thing I remember the most is we were flying back after that loss, Yogi Berra managing his first year and went down to the seventh game and went down to the really to the end of the game. And we lost four to three. And uh, we were on the plane. My wife was sitting by me. And Yogi came over and sat by us. And he said, I just want to talk to you a minute. He said, I'm meeting with the Yankees tomorrow morning. He said, uh, I'm going to ask for a two-year contract. My wife spoke up and said, yeah. Said, by all means, said, uh, if Bobby, that's me, hadn't made that error uh, that loaded the bases and Ken Boyer hit a grand slam and we lost it 4-3, to three, we'd have won that series. Well, Yogi laughed, but I didn't laugh. But, but it was true, except for this. And not too many people know this. Probably I'm the only one in Quebec would know it. But um, Tony and I played together in the minor leagues and major leagues. We knew every every step of every aspect of any play we're going to have. And it was a ball where I didn't feel it clean, but I stayed with it. And I got a hold of it and just very easily put it in the air. Tony would just caught the ball and on first on second base, and we'd had the runner out by, by far. He probably wouldn't even made a throw to first base. But that would have changed the whole game because we'd have been a tie game even with a home run, and we'd have had a game. But that's what I remember about Tell me about your memories of the 1960 World Series, and that's unusual for many ways. Not only were you the MVP of that series on the losing team, but that was such a series in which the Yankees really blew out the Pirates, just, just outscored them dramatically. And, of course, the thing that people remember about the 1960 World Series, of course, is Bill Mazeroski's home run, which was the the home run that won the World Series, which wasn't repeated until years later with Joe Carter and the Toronto Blue Jays. But what are your memories of the 1960 World Series? Well, the thing I remember most is that um, we had a reunion of the 1960 World Series. Bob Costas hosted it, and he asked the Yankees to come back, and none of them would come back. And uh, I had a conflict. I was speaking at a sporting event upstate New York, and finally Bob Costas called me back, and he said, hey, I can't get a single Yankee to come, but I really would like for you to come, and I'll change the date one day. Would you come if I change the date for this reunion? Uh, Bing Crosby had been an owner of the the ball club with the Pirates, Mm -hmm. And he, in his wine cellar, they had found this seventh game. He was so nervous and didn't want to see it in person, but he wanted a film crew to film every aspect of it and he'd look at it later. And they found it and they put it into play and they had the reunion. And I told Bob I'd be glad to come. And I did go and I was the only Yankee that did come. And we were on a stage there. And ironically, the only person that didn't come was Bill Mazeroski. He was in the hospital with... uh, with uh, what's the kidney stone, mm-hmm. and he couldn't get out. But mm-hmm. uh, they dubbed it in later, of course, and brought him into the picture. But I remember that uh, the question was asked, uh, how many Yankee fans are in here? 16, 1,800 people there. And I heard one little weak voice that I am, and that was my son, Rich, who was about eight <laughs> years old, that had gone with me. <laughs> but the thing I remember the most is when the game was over and I looked at Yogi, Yogi was playing left field, and I knew the ball was out of the park, and I – I knew that my uh, there'd be people on that field in two seconds, mm-hmm. and so I grabbed my hat and took off uh, and get to the dugout, get out of the way. And then we got in the dugout in our uh, in the clubhouse, and our team was really, really down because we felt like we had the best team. Mm-hmm. We scored a lot of runs, mm-hmm. but they had won the series, mm-hmm. and Mantle in particular was crying. Mm-hmm. Uh, he just loved to win. And he thought we had a better ball club and should have won it. We did have a chance. The sixth game, a little fundamental play cost us that game. And he was crying. 
And about that time, um, I forgot his name now, but he, the president of Sport Magazine walked in and uh, came over to my locker and said, we've uh, picked you as the most valuable player of the world. Series. Well, I was shocked. I had no idea. didn't know it could be possible. didn't think that I'd done anything. I thought certainly it was Ben Mazeroski. Mm-hmm. That'll kind of encourage me. He said, well, that's one good thing that's happened. He said, that's good. Don't be down. Just say thank you very much. Mm-hmm. And I did that, and I remember that the next day I, I was uh, driven down to a Chevrolet dealership in New York City, and there was a 60 Corvette there, and I remember that I had a friend that was going to drive it home for me. I had a station wagon up with my family, and I remember they had a parade down in South Carolina, and that was a part of the parade in South Carolina. I also remember that all these years that passed by, and we have a little place at the beach that we spend some time, and a lot of folks from Pittsburgh come down there. And I've run into maybe, I would honestly say maybe 40 or 50, and somewhere in the conversation after they found out that I was uh, a part of that team, they say, I asked them, I said, well, you remember who the MVP of the series was? And they said, well, yeah, <laughs> Bill Mazeroski. <laughs> and every one of them, to the, there wasn't an exception, all said Mazeroski. Now, I did have a call. This was just a couple months ago from Elroy Pace, and he said, are you still driving my 60 Corvette? <laughs> he had won three games. He thought he should have won it. Yeah. And, uh, and anyway, but that's that's my memory. Uh, every time I came up the bat, it seemed like the bases were loaded or somebody at the bases were on base. And, and uh, I only had 26 RBIs all year. I got 12 in that series. Oh, and gosh. believe it or not, the record still stands after all these oh, years. Gosh. Marty Appel calls me every every year and said, one one more season. Yeah. Well, you had a grand slam and you got six RBIs in one game. Well, I was supposed to be budding. I was batting at the bottom of the lineup with the pitcher up right after me. And, uh, and in that first inning, we were leading one, nothing bottom of the first inning. We were leading one, nothing and the bases were loaded. And, uh, there was one out. And I remember thinking that, well, Stingle will probably pinch it for me because Enos Slaughter sat by him and he'd pinch it for Cleet in the first inning and he'd pinch it once more for me early in the ball game. And so I was listening to hold that gun. That meant come on back and let Slaughter hit. Didn't hear it. Went up, looked down at Frank Rossetti, and I was kind of surprised. They had me bunting. I just didn't think it was a good play. Bases loaded, one out, yeah. first inning, trying to bunt with the pitcher up next. And so uh, – but I fouled it off. Didn't mean to. Just fouled off, and I fouled it off twice. They put it on the second time. Didn't mean to again. Just didn't get the bat on the ball the right way. And uh, Frank Rossetti hollered down and said, "Hit the ball to the right field. Try to stay out of the double play." And I was trying to hit a ground ball to the right side. And Clem Levine had just replaced Vinegar Ben Mizell. Came in through the fastball, kind of high and tight, and. I got around, I hit it real good, and when I ran at first base, I could see Samoli was in left field. He'd already gone to the stands, he turned around, he's looking at his glove, and I thought he caught it until I saw the umpire giving the home run signal. Mm. And I remember that as I rounded home plate and came into the dugout, Stingle's response to me was, good bunt. <laughs> that was all he said, good bunt. <laughs> he smashes a hard drive to left field, and Samoli goes back, 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 but he doesn't have a chance. It's a grand slam home run for the littlest Yankee of them all. Scoring Scowan, McDougal, and Howard ahead of him, and the New Yorkers lead 6 to nothing. Coming up next, New York Yankee legend Bobby Richardson talks about the highlight of his career. And it's not something that happened on the field. He asked me, what was your biggest thrill in baseball? 
And I said to him, I said, well, we won World Series. There were wonderful moments. I caught my Cubbies ball. But my biggest thrill was in 1962 when Mickey Mantle had uh, missed a lot of games, hit a 30th home run on the last day of the season. And when you look at the stats, the Yankees won only when Mickey was playing. And that's why we won the game. And I said, my biggest thrill was when he received the award. He made the statement, Bobby should have won this award. You're listening to this podcast because you have an interest in baseball. If you own a business, what do you think people who call you have an interest in? Yeah, your business. So you need a message on hold. Now, tell your callers about your products and services, locations and hours, special offers and more with a message on hold now. We've been providing telephone on hold messages since 1992, and we can do one for you. Get your custom message on hold now at messageonholdnow.com. MessageOnHoldNow.com And now back to my conversation with Bobby Richardson, the fixture on the New York Yankees infield in those pennant-winning years of the 50s and the 60s. I hope you'll subscribe and share with your friends. Well, let's talk about 1962, because that was a good year for you. You were second in voting to Mickey Mantle. In the American League MVP. You know, that's funny you say that because the letter that I wrote back to the usher this morning when he said what he did, he asked me, what was your biggest thrill in baseball? And I said to him, I said, well, I, we won World Series. There were wonderful moments. I caught my Cubbies ball. But my biggest thrill was in 1962 when Mickey Mantle had uh, missed a lot of games, hit a 30th home run on the last day of the season. And when you look at the stats, the Yankees won only when Mickey was playing, and that's why we won. And I said, my biggest thrill was when he received the award, he made the statement, Bobby should have won this award. Wow. For Mickey to say that was my biggest thrill in baseball, and then, and we'll talk about it later on, but he became my, one of my closest friends after baseball. Too. Tell me about the last out in the 1962 World Series against the Giants. Well, um, the thing I remember most is my hunting partner, Billy O'Dell, was going for his 20th win. He's a South Carolinian. We've been quail hunting together. We were great friends, and he had pitched so well. In fact, the one run, we were ahead by one run, no RBI because it was a double play ball when the run scored. And uh, I remember that when it came up to this situation, that I knew the guy was go bar. I knew the little guy that was so fast, Alou, was go bar. I cheated in. He made absolutely a perfect run. I came in, I got the ball, and he was already at the base. There was just no play on him. And so he was on first base. And uh, and then Willie Mays came up and uh, hit the ball to right field, and Roger Maris made a fantastic play. It was wet, all the rain we'd had, and Roger actually slipped, slipped called the ball, made a turn, gave me a perfect relay, a little low, but by the same token, I was able, I was out a little farther because he also had a sore arm at that time. Mm-hmm. But he made the relay to me, and I, in turn, related home, and Whitey Lockman, who was the third-base coach, kept a little on third. And uh, so it came out, then McCovey was coming up, runners on first and third, two outs. The manager walked out to talk to Ralph Terry. I went over to second base. Kubek and I always talked. And, and Mays was on second base and uh, standing on the bag, and Kubek looked at me, and Mays could hear him. He said, I sure hope McCovey doesn't hit the ball to you. And I said, why? <laughs> He said, you've already made a couple of errors. I'd hate to see you blow it right now. Oh. And that's what I was thinking about when I went back and they decided to pitch to McCovey. And right before the pitch went, the Al Barlick was the umpire at second base, and he said, hey, Rich, 
can I have your cap after the game for my cousin? I caught the ball. It was a sinking line drive. And I caught the ball, turned around, gave him my hat. And I've seen a dozen pictures where I'm running into the mound. I don't have my hat on. The umpire's walking by with a hat in his hand. My gosh. And so that's what I remember. Now, McCovey has said that he thought I was playing out of position. And Ralph Cherry even told me he took one step out to ask me if I'd move. He thought I was too far over toward first base. And he felt like I needed to be. And he took one step and he said, well, maybe Bobby knows more than I do. He's played 1,400 games out there. And, you know, I'm just pitching the one game here. And so he didn't say anything to me. I actually moved over because early in the count, he hit a foul ball down the right field line. Tremendous. It looked like a home run with his first hit, but it turned off foul. And so when I caught the ball, I went in, gave off Terry the ball. But then the funny thing is that uh, McCovey was inducted. We became friends later because I got a call 45 years later. And they wanted uh, me to come out and to share a program with him. And then the two of us would throw the first ball out Mm. at the new stadium in San Francisco. Mm. And I remember that I went out and that night at the banquet when I saw him for the first time in 45, 45 years. His response to me was, I bet your hand is still hurting. <laughs> and I said, you hit it hard. <laughs> and he said, lady, it was one of the hardest balls he ever hit. It had overspin on it. Yeah. It came down in a hurry. But he said he sure thought it was a base hit when he left the bat. The Yankees lead one to nothing, the bottom of the ninth. The Giants have runners at second and third with two outs, and Willie McCovey is the batter. Here's the pitch to Willie. There's a liner straight to Richardson. The ball game is over and the World Series is over. Willie McCovey hit it like a bullet. A line drive right straight to Bobby Richardson at second base. Had that ball got out of his reach, the Giants would have been the winner. Now it's the Yankees who have mobbed Ralph Terry in the center of the diamond, and well, they should. I found a quote from Willie McCovey, and he says, I hit more grand slams than anybody in the National League history, 18 of them. He says, I hit more home runs than any left-hander in the National League. But that out is what many people remember about me, and I would rather be remembered as the guy who hit the ball six inches over Bobby Richardson's head. And, and also, Charlie Brown had that a couple of times. Oh, is that right? Evidently. Yeah, the writer of, uh, of Peanuts uh-huh. was a big giant fan. Yeah. yeah. And I don't know that he used my name, but he said over the second baseman's head. Uh-huh. And he said, instead of six inches, he said two feet over or something like that. There are just so many stories to hear from Yankee legend Bobby Richardson that we're just going to have to continue on this next week. Listen each week for a new episode. I hope you'll subscribe and share with your friends. I'm John Frost, sharing stories of life at the ballpark.